confidence is a funny thing, isn't it? We all know we need it. It's the kind of thing that we instill in our children from an early age, that they're confident in themselves, confident in the things that matter. But there's a great difference between confidence and overconfidence or false confidence. We've all seen those YouTube clips of, uh, of runners or cyclists who are celebrating too early, not noticing the guy coming up behind them, or the rugby player who fails to dot down in time before he's tackled uh, because he doesn't expect someone coming up behind him. Overconfidence can lead to arrogance, and arrogance can lead to complacency, and that's a really dangerous thing. Welcome to The Word at Work. We're working our way through the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. And we've got up to the fifth letter that Jesus writes to the ancient churches. This one is the church at Sardis. And it's in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And if you haven't read it, why don't you just press pause, go read it quickly. Make sure you've got a Bible in front of you and then we'll look at it together. Well, Sardis was a city that suffered with overconfidence and complacency and it cost them. 500 years before John wrote this book, Sardis was one of the richest cities in the ancient world. They found gold in the rivers, and uh, the rest is history. It was also a city that was very hard to conquer. It was perched up on a necropolis, and uh, you could only approach it from the south side on a very steep and difficult path. There were cliffs all around it, and they were so confident in their position that they didn't even really guard the city uh, gates or the, uh, the city walls. And so... Uh, they, they had this sort of air of, of, of being kind of impregnable, but that was their downfall. Uh, the, the king of Persia, we read about him in the Bible, he tried, like many others, to conquer Sardis, uh, unsuccessfully, I might say, until one night one of his soldiers saw a guard who uh, happened to nod off at the top of the, the Acropolis, and his helmet fell off his head all the way down to the bottom. And he watched as the guard suddenly magically appeared at the bottom of the Acropolis to grab his helmet. And he realized there must be a hidden pathway up through the cliff. And of course, he was right. And uh, the king of Persia attacked at night and caught everybody sleeping. And that's the end of their story. So overconfidence or complacency is a lesson that this city knew too well. And interestingly, as Jesus addresses the church in the city, that's their problem as well. Have a look at verse 1 with me. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Here's a church who, like the city they lived in, had a proud reputation. They had a reputation of being alive, Jesus says. As you looked in on this church, as you watched what they were doing, as maybe you tuned in week by week, everything seemed to be going so well. They were the envy of many other churches around them. And Jesus says, you're not alive. In fact, you're almost dead. Jesus is introduced in verse 1 as the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. It's a strange description, isn't it? That's what you get in the book of Revelation. But the seven spirits is Revelation's way of describing the Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit. Seven is a number of perfection. And what Jesus says as he introduces himself to this church is, I am the one who holds the only giver of life, the spirit of life. Jesus says to this church, you're, you're not alive, you're in a spiritual coma. And I'm the only one who can bring life to those who are in a coma. And what's unsettling is that, as I say, this church would have seemed to have had it all together. It wouldn't have looked as if there was anything wrong. Maybe it was a church with its own YouTube channel and a pastor that was popular, who had a big following, and a leader, a leadership that were at the forefront of their industries. But none of that mattered. See, because of, this, of their reputation, they had become overconfident, complacent, self-confident. 
What caused all of this? Well, interestingly, there's no mention of false teaching in this letter, as there are in so many of the other letters. There's also no mention of persecution, as appears in the other letters, which is a worrying sign. I mean, if a church is not being persecuted in the ancient world, well, that's a worrying thing. But have a look at verse 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. What Jesus is saying to this church is that there is unfinished business. There are deeds that are unfinished. Now, the difficulty doesn't spell out what these deeds are, but I think we're supposed to see them in contrast to the previous letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Thyatira, because he speaks there about deeds as well. Uh, listen again to chapter 2, verse 19. You can find this talk in the previous episode. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you're doing more now than you did at first. So love, faith, service, perseverance, these are the kind of things that really matter to God's people. But outward appearances are nothing if the, there isn't a genuine uh, reality behind them uh, under these things. You know, is there genuine love in this church? Is there real faith that does extraordinary things, even shocking things to the world around them for God? Is there selfless service where people are laying down their lives to help and to serve one another? Is there a real perseverance that they're fixing their eyes on Jesus and striving towards his return? These are the deeds that are unfinished in this church. See, in other words, here's a church that had actually become... Well, the word atrophy is a good word to use. Atrophy is what happens when your muscles, through lack of use, uh, often uh, become hardened and unable to do what they're supposed to do. And it's not too long before those muscles become useless and dead. And that's what this church was like. The problem with a dead church, it is useless in God's mission. So what's the remedy to a church like this? Well, notice what Jesus says in verse 2. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. What does a church do if it is lacking the very core deeds and essentials of what it means to be a true church? Well, there are five things Jesus says that have to be done immediately. Number one, wake up, he says. If your relationship with God has gone cold, if you've drifted into coast mode, Jesus says, wake up, wake up, wake up. And of course, God's word is that alarm clock that wakes us up to our true condition and alerts us to the reality of needing Christ and points us back to him. Don't, don't ever press the snooze button on God's word. He says, strengthen what remains, secondly. You know, with every believer, even if we're in bad shape, there is something there. There are the remnants of genuine faith. And Jesus says, strengthen whatever is good. Strengthen it. Recommit yourself to Jesus. Ask him to breathe new life, to give that sevenfold spirit again, uh, to liven, enliven your bones and to get you back on track. Remember, he says, remember what you've received and heard. And I think what Jesus means here is that when we're in a bad condition, spiritually speaking, as individuals or as a church, we have to return to the very basics, the foundations of our faith. You know, the gospel is not just the way into the Christian faith. The gospel is the way on in the Christian faith. It's the gospel that saves us, but it's also the gospel, the great news about Jesus, that refreshes us and encourages us and establishes us for the years to come. And then fourthly, he says, hold it fast. Did you notice? Don't let it go. 
Give yourself every chance of waking up by clinging to what you know are the essentials of the faith. And I think part of holding on is, is getting back to those spiritual disciplines that are essential to our vitality as Christians. Getting to church, getting involved, making sure we're dedicating time to the things that matter in our relationship with God. And then fifthly, he says, and repent. And repenting is just the idea of turning back to God 180 degrees and turning to Christ. And uh, that's a thing that we, we keep doing for the rest of our lives. And verse 3, Jesus gives us warning if we won't do these things. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. The danger of falling asleep, spiritually speaking, is that just like that city on the embarrassing occasion when Persia came and attacked it at night, we can be caught off guard. Jesus will come like a thief and, and, and he, he, he'll take us by surprise as he snatches away whatever, th whatever life we thought we had. Jesus won't tolerate uh, his name being tarnished in this world. But there is always hope and notice how the letter ends with this note of hope. Jesus says, yet you have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. There are some in the church who have not yet become complacent. There are people engaged with the real work of living out the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and they're truly devoted to Jesus. And Jesus says, if you'll join them, there is this great promise, once again, that Jesus gives in all the letters. Here's the, the, the one to this church. Verse 4, they will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. White garments here, I think, symbolize holiness and purity. The one who is victorious will, like them, Jesus says, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Jesus says here there is a book, a book of life, and he holds the record of that book. And, and everybody's names, uh, everyone who belongs to him has a name in that book. And the question for all of us is, is your name there? You simply have to put your trust in Jesus. We don't have to wait till the day we stand before him to know if our name is there. We simply have to trust him today and live for him as Lord today. Maybe you did that a long time ago. And maybe like the church at Sardis, you've grown weary and complacent and even fallen asleep. Jesus says to you today, wake up. Don't rely on your reputation, your credentials. Don't rely on something that happened in the past but each day is a day to live for Jesus. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Luan will take us next time through the sixth letter, which is the, church, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Make sure you tune in for that, that episode then.